getting a little better. I told the last service, like, I can tell the spring is here because you guys actually have a little bit of excitement in your voice when you say it, so it's really exciting. A couple things before we get started. First thing, I'm CJ. I'm the student ministry director here at Fox Valley Church. Uh, it's good to see you. Second thing, um, we talked about a couple things last week. One of them I just saw, and I want to remind you guys, we are doing our Refuge for Women fundraiser, and so if you brought gift cards to donate, uh, there's a little white box out there at the Connect Central. You can drop those in there. That's where they are. You can also give online as well. There's a drop-down tab for, for that uh, line item. And the second thing is, last week, Pastor Chris talked about 3D living. Um, and so I want to kind of challenge the church here because today is supposed to be gorgeous. Tomorrow's even more gorgeous. And so uh, in Chicago land, everyone is kind of coming out of hibernation, right? Like everyone's, who's taking Christmas lights down today or tomorrow? <laughs> Anyone else in here? Yeah, me too. Um, like people are outside. And so I thought it'd be really cool if we as a church had a little bit of a challenge to uh, take the first D of the 3D living, which is to, um, what, you guys know? Develop relationships, right? And so people are out walking around, they're, they're doing things in their neighborhood. So maybe you can walk around and say hi, meet your neighbors, that kind of stuff. Maybe even grab a couple of those things for the Eagles soccer camp and invite some kids. I think it'd be really, really good. We have an opportunity now that everyone is coming out of their homes for the first time in like forever. Because um, it's been ridiculously cold this, this winter. That's actually not true. It's actually been that, not bad. Um, this morning we're talking about the Lord's Supper, and before we move on anymore, I just want to clarify a couple things. The Lord's Supper, communion, they're interchangeable, right? And so I'm probably going to use those, both of those words. So if I say communion, if I say the Lord's Supper, I mean the exact same thing. just want to clarify uh, in that. And so we're going to be talking about this today. But um, before I get into that, I just thought I'd share, when I was a kid, I grew up in the church, and so at my church, actually, we would take communion every Sunday. And so uh, it kind of became this thing that was very rote. It was very, I just did it because I was there. I didn't really quite fully understand it, especially talking about things like the body of Christ. That's a little weird, like, as for a kid to understand quite what that means. And then, like, drinking, like, the blood of Christ. I was like, what is this? I'm not really sure. And then I got a little older. I was like, this is really cool. Like, and so, I don't know. It was always kind of confusing. But I would just do it because I didn't want to stand out, right? Like, I didn't want to be the one person that didn't take communion in my church. And so I would always go and I would do it. And so uh, we, we just want to talk about a couple of things that Paul is writing to us in 1 Corinthians today. Uh, I want to tell you now, this is not going to be like an incredibly exegetical sermon on the Lord's Supper. So please, if you're going to like already thinking in your head like, wow, you did not go into enough detail, just spare me. Okay, like I know that. That's not the point of this. The point is just to kind of challenge us as a church to grow deeper as we get some time to practice these things that Paul is encouraging the church in Corinth to do later on in the service. And so that, that is the hope. Uh, let, me, let me pray real quick. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this beautiful weather. I pray that this morning as we get to partake in communion together and, and just uh, think and reflect on what it, what it means and how it affects us, God, that you would really minister to us, that you would show us something new, maybe even for the first time today. Because, Lord, we want you to be glorified in our lives and in this service. So, Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, real quickly, before we read the text, you guys can go ahead and start turning there. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'll give you guys a hot second to turn. Uh, two things, if you did not grab one of these really, really cool um, little Lord's Supper communion meals uh, <laughs> in one communion thing, you can go ahead and like throw your hand up. We're going to take it later on. Uh, the, one of the FIT members would love to, I think, uh, would love to help you. If not, you know, the really nice thing about these is you can like throw them to people because they're all sealed. Not that you would ever do that. But anyway, um, these delicious wafers that are so good that, that are nothing like bread. Um, anyway, that always confused me as a kid. I told the first service, I think these things, if, I, if, if snowmen had fingernails, that's what they are. That's my, that's my, to give you way too much information, that's what I think they would look like and taste like. Anyway, um, 
We're going to read through this. Uh, but at Fox Valley Church, we take communion on the first Sunday of every month. So I want you guys to know that. I want you to be mindful of that so we can come prepared from here on out. There's a couple exceptions to that when it might fall on Easter or anything like that. But we do try and like shift it maybe to the next weekend or the weekend before it. So uh, it's something that's important to know. That's when we do it. We, we want to take it seriously. And so it's good to know that on the first Sunday of the month, maybe you and your family take some time to prepare before we come into the service. Right? You're thinking about what it means, reflecting on this after we talk about it this morning. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 18 to 32. I believe the screen goes to 34, but we're going to jump into verse uh, 18. And here we go. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you has God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. Um, really quickly, the first two verses might seem a little disjointed. might seem like, what, what are those doing there and talking about communion? I don't really understand. What Paul is trying to do is he's trying to draw out that there's something, there's some tension, there's some disunity, there's something going on that shouldn't be going on in the church. And you've got to remember, in the early church, the Lord's Supper, communion, was, was one of the main elements of worship, right? Like they didn't have a worship band that would come in and like play music. So this is how people come together and worship, and he's trying to draw out this idea that, that there's not this unity that there should be in the worship service, and especially when we come to the table together. So that's why that's there. We'll unpack that a little more later. Verse 21. But when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private supper. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord that I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats the bread of the, or, I'm sorry, or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many, many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. Okay, there's a lot to unpack here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I do want to share one quick thing in that, those last couple verses, right? We live in a very, um, a very like scientific modern age, and so we tend to read things like this where when Paul is saying, you know, maybe you've gotten sick or some of you have died or these bad things have happened to you, it's because you've abused the Lord's Supper. And we hear that and we kind of, in our, in our modern day minds, we kind of say, well, that's just because they didn't understand science, right? That was just like a coincidence. There was something wrong with them. Right? I want to challenge us not to be so dismissive of the spiritual world that we live in. Right? Like God, God has created us as spiritual beings, and that's, that's really the, the main and most important thing that we should recognize in our lives. And so there's a very real reality of what's going on here, and that um, you know, maybe, yes, there's science, and God created that too, but, but, but God is ultimately over all things, and he's a spiritual being who is, who is leading a spiritual world. And so uh, let's not be so quick to dismiss these things that happen. I'm not saying we should think that every cough and, like, injury is because you've done something wrong, but at the same time, let's not just dismiss the spiritual things of this world because it is important. Um, okay, really, really simply, what Paul is doing here is he's reminding the church at Corinth 
about the importance of some, of some things around the Lord's Supper. And so if you have time, I really encourage you to read 1 Corinthians. It's, it's a really <laughs> uh, interesting, I'll call it that, letter to a church that was, let's just say, struggling at the time. Uh, Paul kind of, in a loving but very upfront way, just corrects a lot of the things that are going wrong in the church. And one of them is, is around uh, the topic of unity. Okay, and so he's calling this out. He's saying that the, that the mark of the church, the mark of, of, of Christians is unity. And so as you come together to worship and to take the Lord's Supper together, you're not unified, right? He, he kind of uses an example of someone being drunk and someone having nothing to eat. And so what he's trying to draw out is that maybe if, if someone came in to the, to the worship and they didn't have food or they didn't have things to eat, right, that's, that's a lack of unity if you would just allow them to not participate in worship. So to give a modern-day example, the best that I'm able to, it's kind of weird, but let's just say that the Renz family here in the front row, because you have a beautiful bald head, I like it, I'm going to use you. Um, the Renz family is like, put all their coats down along this whole row, and like, this was their space, and we were really full, and no, no one could come in, right? If they said, well, no, this is our space. You can't come into our space. Hopefully, that's not very, like, loving and unified if they're not letting someone enter in to participate in worship because they, they want their space. This is theirs, right? What would be uni unifying and loving is to say, oh, of course, I'll move my stuff. Let me make room for you so you can come in, so you can worship, so you can experience the power of God, right? That's what he's trying to draw. This. That's, that's missing in the church in Corinth, and he's trying to point it out and saying that's not okay. It's not okay um, for you to do that. Matter of fact, he's going as far as to say, it's not okay that you act like that's not going on and you just come and worship and act like everything's great. We'll get there in a minute, though. So that's the first thing. He's, he's, he's reminding them of the importance of unity. And the second thing is repentance. He's reminding them that it's so important to be a church who repents. And if you know anything about Paul and his letters to the church, he is like a hound dog when it comes to repenting, right? Like he's all about it. He's all about being, uh, having a heart of repentance and, and, and doing that with other people. And the third thing is that taking the Lord's Supper seriously, and th that's a way of worship and declaration of the new covenant that Christ has ushered in. And he's calling them to remember that. It's not just some pithy thing that they do on Sunday, right? So I want to give us some time to practice what he's bringing to our attention. But first, I thought it'd be good to talk about this covenant idea, right? He talks about this new covenant that's coming in. It's important to understand what that is. But before we can understand the new covenant... We have to understand the old covenant, right? I mean, because something precipitated the new covenant, and it's, it's helpful to know what that is. Okay, so the old covenant um, is, is, is found in the Old Testament. It's this agreement, if you could call it that, between God of making a way to do a couple things. And I understand, like I said earlier, I'm not going to talk about all of them. I want to pick out two things that the old covenant does. Um, and so we'll, we'll start there. The first thing that the old covenant did and it's found specifically in the laws that God gives, right? So in like Deuteronomy, Leviticus, Numbers, uh, it's a lot of stuff there. But uh, he sets apart God's people for God's glory. Okay, and so this was very specific. God not only, he didn't, he's not just this God that's like, you know what, I'm going to make life really hard for you. And I'm just going to make you follow a bunch of rules. That's not the nature of God. What he was actually doing is saying, hey, you are my chosen nation. Part of being my chosen nation, my chosen people, is you're going to live differently than everyone else that you're coming in contact with, right? Because he knows the big story. He knows that you're going to go into captivity in, in Egypt and that you're going to be delivered into a promised land. That's your land, but there's people that live there. And you're going to have to live life around them and near them. And when you do, I want them to see something very distinct and different about you. And one of the ways that will happen for my glory, is this is God talking, for his glory, is by you living differently. By, by following a set of laws that are different than most people would, would have lived, right? So that's one way, following this, this law. 
It sets God's people apart. And so what that does is it, it, it works in tandem with God's power, right? So the nation of Israel is in captivity in Egypt. They're living a, a distinctly different life. And then what happens? God comes in to deliver them. He's an incredible act of God's power. He, he delivers them from Egypt with plagues, and then he takes them across the Red Sea, splits the sea. Pharaoh and his army gets drowned by the sea, right? That's, that's God moving, and so there's a distinction that those are his people because they live differently, and God showed it. He, he, he said, yes, those are my people by acting in power because they followed those laws. Does that make sense? The second purpose, I don't, if you didn't agree with me, <laughs> sorry. Okay, um, the second purpose that it served is to forgive sin. Right, and we see this in, in Leviticus and Numbers, right? There's this huge, huge, like, laying out of these laws of, of how, to, how to forgive the nation of Israel for their sin, right? And he gives Aaron, like, all these things to do in the temple and sprinkling blood on the horns of the altar and all these things, right? There's a very specific uh, need to forgive the sin of the Israelites. And so by offering a sacrifice to cover that sin, that's what God does in the old covenant because he, he, he longs to have a, a way to have that relationship uh, back that was broken in the garden. And a matter of fact, this is the first place we see God moving to, to, to use blood to cover the sins of the people. But real quick, Hebrews 9, you know, it's not on the screens, I'll just read it for you. It comes from Leviticus chapter 17. It's being quoted here. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. And that may seem really morbid and seem really weird, right? But, but what, it, what it says to me is that God made a way in all of this. Matter of fact, in Leviticus, it says that blood was given so that we could be forgiven. Like, that's, it, its purpose was that it would be shed for our forgiveness, which I think is weird because it serves a lot of other purposes, right? But it, it shows that he's, for making, he's making a way to forgive us. And so that's what God is doing. And again, I, we see this very quickly in the garden after Adam and Eve sinned. You guys remember what happens? What's, what is it? He makes them clothes, right? They were naked in, the, in their sin and they were ashamed. They were aware of their sin for the first time. And God has an act of love in sacrificing an animal. And he makes, the Bible tells us that he makes a, a, a clothing of skin. I hope we're all smart enough to know that he didn't just like, okay, I'll take that skin, zebra, and now you've got more skin, right? Like, it wasn't that way. Like, something had to die to cover the sin of Adam and Eve. And that's God's first move of, of, of redemption right there. But blood had to be shed. And so for the whole Old Testament, we see this over and over and over and over again. nation of Israel is constantly bringing sacrifices to the altar to be given so that they could be made right with God. It's this constant battle. I sin, I bring this thing, I do these things, and I, I, I follow the laws, and then I, I, I mess up, and so now I've got to be cleansed by the blood again, right? It's this constant battle. So what happens? That's the old covenant. What's the transition? Jesus. Jesus is the new covenant. He comes in and he lives a perfect life and he fulfills that covenant. That his blood being poured out was it. That's done. He, 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 he fulfilled the purpose and intentions of that covenant. And he ushers in a new covenant. The covenant of the law of the old covenant is now ushered in with a covenant of love. And this is really cool. And I, I think this is, is, is really powerful. That his blood redeems our sin debt, like it covers it, and all of it. And so often I find myself thinking it's only for the sin that have happened behind me in the past. But no, he's paid for not just my sin. Sin, capital S, all of it has been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's been taken care of. The debt has been canceled out. The new covenant has been ushered in. And it's really cool to me that it follows a similar purpose. The first thing is it sets apart 
the people of God for God's purposes, just like the old covenant. But how? It's not by following laws and doing X, Y, and Z anymore. It's by being loving, by you being united, right? He tells us, Jesus tells us that they're going to know that we're his disciples by what? By the way we love one another. Not by, the way we, by, by all the things we do and by the laws that we have, uphold. Like, not that, by the way we love one another. So yes, absolutely it's important. It also serves to forgive sin, right? The new covenant of Jesus' blood, it has paid the sin debt. It's no longer about bringing a goat to sacrifice at the altar and get sprinkled with blood. It's about Jesus' blood. It's been poured out for me, for you, for all of us so that we can be forgiven for that sin. By placing our faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, we can have that for all of our sins. So the Lord's Supper is an act of worship that allows us to remember what Christ has done for us and to corporately, I guess you could say, agree to live under that covenant. And there's a, there's a power there. And it talks about not taking it, we'll, we'll get there in a minute, about not taking um, the, the, the juice and the bread in an unworthy manner. And that, that we want to be believers. We want to have our heart right before we do this because there's power in it. But we're also, when we take this together, we're, we're saying, yes, I want that. I want the new covenant. I don't want to live by my works anymore. I don't want to live in the covenant of the law. I want to live under the covenant of love. So if we go back to the three things that Paul mentions, right, it makes sense. He mentions unity, the importance of unity. Well, why? Because the new covenant is all about unity. It brings in the Israelites and the Gentiles. And, and he's saying, no, it's for anyone that places their faith in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of their sins. That's who it is. We're united under the new covenant. Right? God has not given me a higher measure of grace than Leah. Like, 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 Keith is not rolling in grace and I'm over here like, oh, poor is me. Right? Like, like, he's given grace to all, evenly, equally, poured out, uniting us together under the covenant of love. Right? And the second thing. So obviously, it's, it's important. So, so Paul is saying this is of utmost importance. So the fact that you're neglecting it is really not good. The fact that you're neglecting that and being Having disunity and not loving one another is not a good thing. The second thing is repentance, right? The new covenant is, is the complete forgiveness of sins and, and the forgiveness of sins through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so, so how can we come in and, and no, no longer repent, church at Corinth, church at Fox Valley? How can we not live in this lifestyle of repentance? Because that's the exact reason for the new covenant. That's what it brings into us, that we can confess our sins and repent from those sins. And let me just say this real quick. Part of the church, part of what it's designed for, it is not designed for us to come in here and have our best Sunday best on and sing the best songs and to never have anything like crazy happen in church. No, the church is designed to come in and worship together a fallen, sinful, broken people coming, repenting, confessing, crying out for, like, it's, it's meant to be a triage unit in a hospital. Like, that's what it's the best designed for. And we treat it like the cleanest waiting room that's ever been existed. In a hospital, we're like, oh man, we can't have any. We gotta be all proper in here. And man, I don't, I don't think that's it. I, don't, I think that's so far off from what it was designed for, to come. And if you don't have someone that you can confess your sin to, I'm not saying you come up here and grab the microphone and say, okay, let's rattle them off. But you should have at least one or two relationships in your life where you can confess those things. That's important. It's part of growth. Let me just say it this way: it's not a suggestion. <laughs> the Bible's not like. Maybe if you get around to it, have someone you can confess your sin to. No, it's like that's part of being a believer. That's part of what we're called to do. So the, the repentance is so important because that is the epitome of the new covenant. And the last thing is taking it seriously. I love this. I think it's really cool. 
he's calling the church in Corinth not to just treat this like something where I can, it would seem through the context of of, of the passage, right? There were people bringing their food in, having wine, having a jolly good time at church, maybe even getting a little tipsy, right? Like that's what was going on at church. And that's not the heart behind it. We want to take it seriously. And I would go as far as to say this. What if we treated the Lord's Supper as seriously as if we were the disciples in the room after he's in the grave and he walks through the wall? Right? Like, what, what if we took it as seriously as Jesus fresh from the resurrection and we were there and we were doubting, we were, we were afraid, we were scared, we thought, man, I thought he was the Messiah, I thought he was the one, and now he's dead. And all of a sudden you're sitting there and boom, he's in the room. Like, I know what that would do in my heart. Like, not a question. I would be like, holy now, okay. Like, like, that would really bring all my sin. It would make me so thankful. I would be so overwhelmed by the love of, and the power of Jesus in that moment. But so often we come to the table and we're just like, okay, this is the transition between this song and the next one. Right? Like, now we're closing the worship service out. I should probably get ready to go get my kids or, like, start thinking about where we're going to lunch. It's like a transition moment in the service instead of the pivotal, the crescendo and the power of the blood of the resurrection. It's important. We should take it seriously because the new covenant changes everything for us. Real quick as we get ready to wrap up, I want to just say this. Verse 27 mentions taking the, the cup and the bread in an unworthy manner. And I want to unpack this a little bit before we wrap up um, because I know for me, when we think about something being unworthy, right? That's a very subjective lens. Like if I went around this room and asked, what would it look like for someone to be unworthy? Heather might have a very different example of what being unworthy is than Donna, right? Like because it's your lens. So for me, I'll just be honest. Like I value hard work. And so if, if, if someone's really hardworking, in my sinful, broken mind, they have more worth and value to me than if they're lazy. Like that, not, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just telling you, that's, that's my broken side coming out. Well, that's not the way, that's not the worth that God has ascribed. Jesus has given us all worth and value, right? And so uh, when we say these things, I want to give us some sort of objective reality of what it looks like to come unworthy to the table. We we partake of the, the communion of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner when we do these things, when we would rather remain ununified with each other than own up to our beef with one another. We'd rather stay comfortable in that chair than get up Maybe go, go hash some things out. Admit that we're wrong. Admit that that's going to be a hard conversation and try and restore a relationship with a brother or sister. We partake in an unworthy manner when we're okay hating, or being mad at, angry with a brother or sister because they did something to deserve it. Newsflash, you did something to deserve it. We all did. We all, we all are, in our flesh, we are deserving of the wrath of God. So who are we to hold something over someone else's head? When are we as a church going to stop acting like this is the play and we can just all have this class system in the church and say, no, 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 you can't, yes, okay, you've given your life to Christ, but you've got to wait. Like, you've got to show us that you really mean it. You've got to show us that you're ready now. Do you realize that if that happened in Acts chapter 2, it would have never finished the book? 
<laughs> like, Acts would never have been written if everybody had to hold off and wait before they started living for Christ and sharing about what he's done in their life, right? Like, all the gospels would be cut in half. Like, that would end the move. That's not what it is. It's a beautiful movement of redemption where sinful, broken, depraved people are re- rejuvenated with the life and blood of Jesus Christ and have new life. The old is gone. It is dead. It is no more. And the new has come. So we have to stop acting and holding those things over our heads. We partake in an unworthy manner. We make excuses for not confessing and repenting of sin. We try and hold on to just some of our sin, right? Maybe we like, we, 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 everything else on the outside looks really good and people think that we're really repentant and all this stuff, but secretly we're holding on to this one thing back here that Jesus can't have. No one can see and Jesus can't have it. We, we take it in an unworthy manner and we treat it like it's just another thing. Like it's just a transitional moment in the service and that's it. We don't give it the, the merit that it deserves. We treat it in an unworthy manner when we've never placed our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. If you're not a Christian, that's, this is something you shouldn't partake in. And that's okay. And, and I hope you know, and look at me. Everyone look at me for a second. If, if you hear or if you feel that Fox Valley Church is a place where you can not attend if you're not a believer and you, that you have to partake in this because you'll feel judged, let me just tell you, send those people my way, okay? I have no problem talking with them and giving a little kick in the right direction, okay? This is a place where you can come and ask tough questions, where you can come and be real and, and, and learn about what God is doing. Ultimately, we hope that you would place your faith in Jesus, but we want you to be here. This is a safe place for you to gather and to ask those questions and to, to look and explore God and who he is. And Man, let me just tell you, if you're here and you're the opposite of that, if you're the person that's telling them that in passing judgment, would you stop for a second? Like, come on, get off your high horse. Who are you? You were that person. Stop it. Maybe you treat, treat the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner when you look around the room and think everyone else needs this more than me. You think in your heart that what we do has any merit for the forgiveness of sin. If you think that, that, that what your actions are how God sees your value, you're missing the mark. And let me just say it this way. Communion has lost its power on you. You will never understand the power and the weight of what we're about to do if that's how you're thinking up here. Last one. We fail to actually stop and consider the terrible death and sacrifice of Jesus. I shared this with the last service. Um, because we live in, a, in a, an agendaed world, in... in, in um, Tragically, that has taken over the church culture. So everything has to be done at a certain time, and <laughs> I'm just going to stop before I step on my own feet. Um, anyway, my point here is that on the first Sunday of every month when we have communion together as a church, you have my blessing. Not that it matters, but you have my blessing. If you're not ready to move on, like if you're not ready to go in the next song, Grab the juice. Grab the, grab the bread. Like, go to the cafe. Spend some time praying. Grab the person that you need to get unified with. Go take them. Go talk with it. Like, let's stop treating this like the orchestrated agenda that it is. It's church. This is a triage unit. Like, let's come together and be real about this. Don't feel like you have to rush into it. If you need more time, take the time. Who cares what everyone else is doing around you? Get right 
with God. Actually stop and consider and think about what Jesus went through. So often we're guilty of coming in an unworthy manner. And let me just say the most, the most worthy manner we could come to the table in is, is best described in a story that Jesus talks about, tells about this righteous Pharisee who comes and says, I do all these things, look at all my works, I'm so glad I'm not like that guy. And then on this other so- side, we have this tax collector who's literally on his knees in the temple, sh- crying out all of his wretchedness, all of his sin. That man is more worthy to come to the table than the other. That is the condition of the heart we should have, the heart posture of, I am a wretch in need of this. I need this body. I need this blood to cover me in forgiveness of my sins. So this morning, I want to give us some time to, to, to get unified, to repent, to truly reflect on his sacrifice. I believe that, that Christ gave us communion because he knew that we wouldn't be in the room that he walked through the wall in. Right? Like, he knew that we would need to be able to, to touch with our fingers those bread. This weird, wafery, weird bread. Like, right? Like, he knew that we would need this because he knew that CJ would forget. He knew that I would forget about it, and I would just come here and make it a routine, and unless I grabbed it and actually felt it and stopped and thought, wow, Jesus was a man. He was a God-man. He actually lived. He had air in his lungs. He had shoes on his feet. He, he slept at night, right? Like, he was a real person who lived a life for me. Unless I stop and think about that. So he gave us this so we could spend time. So this morning, we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper a little differently. Um, and so the band's going to come out, and I want to kind of lay it all out for you before we get started so that no one jumps ahead. Uh, usually we just kind of take it, and then we're done, and we go into the song. And so uh, what's going to happen is um, we're going to take about a minute, minute and a half uh, to just stop. Jody's going to play on the keys, and there's going to be some music just to stop, reflect, to ask God to examine our hearts. God, what is it? Is there anything that, that I, any relationship in my life I need to get unified with? I need to do that maybe even right now. Maybe you need to grab them and go out in the, the, the foyer and, and talk. Maybe, maybe you need to send a text message and say, hey, can we talk later today? Like, I, there's something between us, and I want to get that right. Maybe you just need to stop and ask God, show me the sin. What are the things that I'm holding on to that I don't even know that I'm holding on to? Would you help me? Would you help me have a heart that truly is repentant? So we're going to take about a minute, minute and a half. And then we're going to come and we're going to take the bread together. And the band's going to play a new song. It's called For the Cross. Okay, and, and the lyrics of this song, I think, are so powerful. I, I, I love the lyrics. I think they fit in so well with communion. And so uh, I want us just to remain seated and just sing the lyrics, listen to the lyrics, listen to what it's saying. And I'm going to come back up after the second chorus, and we're going to take the, the, the juice together. And then we're going to celebrate. We're going to sing, and we're going to declare that God is good after that because we're going to declare the new covenant over our lives. So let me pray for us, and then we'll take about a minute, minute and a half just to hear from God, hear what he wants to do in our lives. Father, I just thank you for the new covenant. Lord, I thank you that you don't measure our, our deeds as our worth in you. Lord, that, that you look at your son, that when you look at me and my value, you look at what your son did on the cross, that I could have new life, be forgiven of my sin, because God, I, I mess up every day. I'm not worthy of your love. I'm not worthy of, of your goodness to me. But Lord, because of what Jesus has done, he made a way so that I can be, not only that I'm worthy, but that you call me a child of God, that I'm, that I'm yours now, that you've, you've, you've given me a, a spiritual blessing and an inheritance that goes way beyond anything I could ever imagine. 
So God, I pray that as we spend some time just listening, reflecting, would you speak to us? Would you really show us the true condition of our heart? Maybe would you show us that relationship that's been broken that we need to, to get unified in? And will we take this seriously? So Lord, would you speak to us? I don't want us to, to if you're ready, to, to move on and to, to grab the, the piece of bread. I want us to hold it, and I want us to think about um, Thomas, who, who, who doubted, who his disciples, his friends told him, hey, we, we saw him, Jesus rose, he, he's, he's alive, and he says, I don't believe you. Not, not until I touch with my hands and put my fingers in the holes of his hands and his feet. Jesus comes, and, and what does he say? Come, put your holes, put, put your hands in, my, in the holes of my feet. He, he allows him to touch, to feel, to say, hey, you have risen. This isn't a myth. It's not a story. It's not something we made up. The tomb is empty because Jesus was a man who lived this, who lived this life, who walked this earth, who gave himself up for us. No one took his life. He gave it up for you and for me. Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it, symbolizing the, the death that he was about to take, breaking his body. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. brings life. When we come to the table and we get to take this together, we're saying, I want it. Yes, I'm in. I want that. I want the new life. I don't want the old covenant. I don't want to be seen by my value of God, by what I do, because I recognize that I could never do enough. I could never be good enough. I could never have it. I recognize that, and so I want him. I want the blood. Bathe me in it. Shower me in it, because I can't do it on my own, and I want forgiveness. I don't want to hang on to these sins in my life. I want to be a child of God. I need it. I want it. Give it to me. And Jesus says freely, come, take this. I've given it to you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant one of love, one of unity, one of repentance, one, one that says you can be made new. One that restores what was broken, that makes us right with God. Do this whenever you drink it. I never caught that. Do this. There's an action. There's a call. It's do it. Live the new covenant. Live this. Praise this. Worship this. Like, call it out. This is not something we passively do on the first Sunday of the month. We live the new covenant. It is a do. It's something we do. Do it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup. Church, we're going we're gonna to go back in to the chorus one time, and then we're going to go into the third verse. And I love this third verse, and it gets big and it builds because it, it talks about the resurrection. It says, and on that day, 
or I'm messing up the words, but whatever. My point is, my point is that the ground shook, that Jesus came out of the tomb, and when he did, he said forever, you've got new life. The old is gone, the new is dead, so you can stand, you can praise, you can shout because of what I've done, not because of what you've done. You've got new life, and you could never know the extent of what I've done for you, and no amount of sin, no amount of doubt, no amount of anything could ever, ever, ever undo what I did. So we can stand, we can shout, we can praise, we can proclaim, we can live because of what Jesus has done. So I want to invite you to stand. We're going to sing. We're going to shout. I'm going to pray, and it's going to get crazy in here. Father God, thank you so much for what you've done for us. Thank you for the new covenant, the new covenant of love that is defined by your love for us and our love for one another. Would we be people that are quick to love one another, that are quick to repent, that live this out? And God, I pray that as we worship, that you would help us to know that you have forgiven so, so much, and God, that you love us immensely. So, Father, would you be glorified by our praise this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.